Welcome to Miniature Wargaming Lab, a podcast about miniature wargaming. So, my name is James, and I'm joined today. I'm Brian. <laughs> you, you probably remember me from uh, other videos that we may have done together in the past. Yeah, so this is our inaugural launch of the podcast channel. And the reason for that is during this COVID shutdown, Brian and I would do our discussions for our YouTube channel. And we used to do them over Zoom, but we found we were spending more time talking about other things and you know, the topic we were setting out to record on YouTube said, you know what, why don't we actually just capture all of it? And this really is just a reflection of the conversations we have when we're at our local game store. So Brian, you work at a local game store? I sure do. Uh, Etten Games, Albuquerque. Um, we are, we've been open for about three years now and I've been here for a little over two of that. So uh, yeah, it's been an interesting ride this year, so. Yeah, and I, I moved to Albuquerque right after Etten opened. And uh, I will say, moving from the DC metro area, I know it has Nova open, but the gaming scene inside the Beltway, uh, actually not as big as what I found to be in Albuquerque. So this is actually what led to the creation of the channel, is like Brian and I discuss often multiple games, multiple gaming systems, Games Workshop, Warlord, which not many people do around here anymore, uh, Osprey Games. And what we like to capture the discussions of the trade-offs between the different games. So the mission statement of the channel is how do we play more games for less money? Because every game comes with its own restrictions of how much time is it going to take? And as we know, miniature wargaming is a hobby in addition to playing. So there's going to be time to set up, build your minis, actually time to play. There's how much space you're going to take up with this stuff. And um, I've gotten pretty good about hiding all the miniature supplies and the different miniatures at different parts of the house. So no one notices and starts, you know, equating dollar symbols with those uh, miniatures. And the big part is how much money are some of these games going to take? Because there's vast differences when you play with the big gorilla games workshop versus warlord or Osprey or North star. Yeah. Money's uh, probably the biggest one when it comes to factoring in how many games I play. Um, I, although I do work at a game store, and of course that means I get some discounts, um, it's still a big factor in whether or not I get into a game. So that's in space. I'm only allowed one room in the house to uh, fill up with my stuff, and it's also a main walkway. So I also have to, you know, keep it clear. So I am limited on my space. Well, so I think. Uh... We should point out that you live in Old Town North in Albuquerque. So you live in the trendy area. So the houses are a little bit smaller, but you've got a, a more hip walking community to go to. I live outside the city in Rio Rancho. So I have your cookie cutter box home. So I've got a little more room to play with. In, uh, you, you do. Yes. But I mean, I can't say this. Uh, I have a, game store within walking distance yeah. from me now um, That's right. you do yeah. but uh it's a it's a distance to walk well so yes i can walk to the only warhammer store in the albuquerque metro area is in rio rancho and you've you've been here brian you see if i cut through the arroyo or 
that's what here in Albuquerque we call dry riverbeds where the coyotes live. If I cut through that riverbed and climb a hill, I can get to the other side where the Warhammer store is. So it's not exactly a convenient walk. No, not at all. But, well, you know, you bring up the issue of money. And so you're actually on the front lines. How many customers come to you and, you know, they're looking for a game? And how much of a factor is money in the starting of the game? Money is always the factor. That is the number one concern to pretty much every person starting a game. Um, Of course, the biggest game being Games Workshop and 40K under their umbrella. Um, People see that as a marker of how much to spend on a game. Um, Now, the second factor is who's going to play with me? Now, I could spend $100 on Gaslands and have everything I need to play. But if I if there's no one to play with it, that's pretty much $100 down the drain. Now, if I drop $500 on 40K and there's 20 different people to play and I could get a game in at any time, well, that's $500 well spent because that will continuously give you value. So those are two big factors, but money is always the biggest factor. I mean, if you're looking at uh, getting a starter box for 90 or $120 now, um, or even a Battle Force box during the holiday season for 200 to $210 now, um, it's a great way to start. But when you tell them that this is a starter box and you'll have to expand on it after $100 to $200, big factor. Um, Games Workshop has made it easier for people to get in at lower dollar uh, amounts and easier to play at those amounts, but it's still the biggest factor when looking into getting into a game. I think we'll touch on that later, but when we get to the main segment of our program, so but let's have the fun part, the discussion of where we fail to achieve our goals and how much we're going to get done this week in hobbying. So Brian, what do you have on your little hobby work desk? I can see some of it. Actually, uh, it's not here um, because I'm mostly at work these days. Um, I've kind of made my house into a Magic the Gathering den. Um, Well, I work on everything at work. Um, work, So I'm working on a Grot Tank Battalion. So uh, I'm taking... A one of the Toon Tanks uh, from the World of Tanks, I think it is, okay. um, and orcifying it, putting Games Workshop stuff on it, and putting grots all over it, and then uh, from there it'll go get painted. Well, I know there's that's probably the most creativity that Games Workshop looks the other way at, if it's not all Games Workshop bits is the orcs and the grots. There's actually like a carve out, like, okay, you guys can bring non-standard stuff to the table (laughs) since you're just junk people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you can just get... The the reason people love the orcs, and especially me, uh, is you just throw a bunch of stuff onto any other Games Workshop vehicle or even 
a regular model kit and as long as it looks trashy and beat up and made out of junk it's it's an orc orc vehicle and you can play it outstanding so for myself right now uh finally decided to get serious about the uh terrain in the dark uprising so the necromunda box i bought yeah. a 260 dollar beast right there it's so you always say that's that's a lot of money and then you start pulling out the plastic and it is a ton of plastic and so i'm finally trying to get through that terrain because i've got finished up my uh ogren gang i got one guy left and we're going to film that and show how i painted him uh but of course when you get to that final model in like a crew a gang or army it's just like well i could do this one <laughs> It's, it's the final slog. <laughs> Trying to get that one, and I've still got the uh, what the fortress battle tank dropship there. So, which is a really nice model. Well, you figure out how to put it together. So that is probably one of our most viewed videos on the YouTube channel. Out of the uh, battle tech people, like go to like the Min miniature wargaming labs YouTube channel. For anyone who's interested so <laughs> basically whatever i'm doing on my table here but that was probably the most viewed because it's what is it 75 dollars for that and when you pop open yeah. that box you are severely underwhelmed by what your 75 dollars got you and that's probably been the number one comment on that video is because the globe so it's basically just a giant sphere with little rocket landing gears across the bottom of it. And, you know, little bulbous protrusions with little uh, turrets sticking out. And it's like, you know, I could buy a block of styrofoam and like <laughs> seal it and paint it for like, you know, under 10 bucks. So why would I buy this? And, you know, the sphere is actually made out of like a two-part resin that I, so I, I sometimes mold uh, various models. I won't say which companies to make clones of them. And I'll, we'll buy this two-part resin off eBay. Mm -hmm. That's what this sphere is made out of. So it's like, there's no special proprietary plastic or anything that, you know, you can only get if you're an industrial customer. It's like, this is stuff off eBay. And the landing gears are just like little metal bits on there. And the instructions are horrible. I put my little long Tom artillery piece on like the wrong, because it's just like arrows that say, yeah, put put the half spheres around here. Like, okay. It wasn't after I put it together that I realized, uh oh, <laughs> that that different one is supposed to go on top, but lesson learned. I was able to pop it and fix it, but it actually looks a lot better painted than it does raw in the video. So I'm going to show Oh, you. I can imagine. I mean, everything looks better painted. Well, you know, and that's, that's an issue I think with some companies when they show their pictures, when they show just like the 3D renders or just the raw model, if you don't show what it looks like painted or even worse, you paint it poorly. So for example, the uh, Goliath croc from Forge World, mm -hmm. when you go look at the picture of it on the Forge World website, it's like, why would I spend that much money for that ugly model? And I actually saw one playing Necromunda back in like Maryland uh, a couple of years ago and a guy pulled it out and it's like, that is an awesome model. I would buy that. Literally, unless I hadn't seen that, the paint job on some of um, on some of these models just ruin it right there. You don't see what it could be when it's actually right in front of you. It doesn't exactly. Translate. 
But, you know, let's get to the main topic here. So what we want to talk about is this channel isn't really for beginning war gamers. This is primarily aimed at people who are in like your third war game or more. You know, the point when it becomes a problem and like your family members approach you and ask you, when is this going to end? When are you going to stop? And uh, you promise that you will, but you secretly store more. <laughs> you secretly buy more and more plastic and metal to just get hidden <laughs> around the house. Uh, yeah. The issue I have is like, um, how does it get started? And a lot of times you make a lot of mistakes when you start playing multiple war games there. So I wanted to ask you, Brian, I don't even think I've heard all the story. I know you're a big Infinity player, but what was your first war game and how did you get into it? Uh, so there? That's... technically my first uh, miniature game was, uh, oh, Heroclix. Um, it was Heroclix and the, the fantasy version of that, which I, Mage Knight back in when I was in high school, um, I was a big Magic the Gathering player and I played D&D, of course. Um, but those are really the only games that I played. And I was really into uh, Mage Knight. I had a huge Mage Knight collection, which, I mean, isn't really a miniature game, but it also is kind of a miniature game. Um, from there, uh, I went into high school, didn't really play any games other than Magic. Uh, and then college, I didn't really play anything other than some RPGs. And then one of my friends came along and got me into more RPGs. And then he showed me Infinity. Infinity was really the first deep miniature game that I got into. Um, I fell in love pretty much instantly. The the aesthetic of it, the cyberpunk part, the, the high uh, sci-fi part of it, um, the, the metal models was a big factor for me. I, I still love metal models to, these day, uh, to this day. Uh, I, just, I still really enjoy the game. I love the D20 aspect of it. Um, and I played that for a good part of seven years um, before I started working at Etten. And when I started working at Etten, I decided I should start playing, you know, other games. Uh, because people kept uh, telling me in the Infinity community, don't play GW games. You know, if, if this is your only war game, you're doing good. This is the only game you really need to play. And, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, I kind of fell into that. But then I started playing 40K. And I was just like, you know, 40K is cool. Um, but now, you know, I'm... And now I'm entrenched in this miniature game world and the game store world. And now I get to talk to people that play these games all the time. Uh, it's not just a hobby anymore. It's now my career. Uh, so now I have more information. And that's when I started getting into more and more board games. Um, getting into Gaslands and Frostgrave and Osprey games. Those were that that was definitely the big intro is Osprey games. And then from there talking to you and a couple other people that like the smaller games. And coming from Infinity, I like the smaller model count, uh, the smaller boards. 40k is a lot of fun, but I do prefer the smaller 
model count and uh, the more skirmish game uh, style. So a lot of those games that are out there uh, just caught my attention right away. And then being who I am, uh, I dove headfirst into as many games as I could get my hands on. And I started ordering any game that was new. And I ended up with more games than I will ever play in my life. <laughs> there, you know, there's many an article in War Game Soldiers and Strategies talking about the packs of rule books that will never be opened, but you have to buy them. But uh, no, I look at your timing and like the comics you get from the Infinity, like probably one of the best things that ever happened to miniature wargaming was the death of Warhammer Fantasy. Because Infinity came out what, the same year as Fantasy was, the bullet was put in the back of its head and Sigmar yep. started. And there were a lot of GW fans who were really ticked off setting their armies on fire i think that's a famous video that everyone's seen but you know i think it really opened up people's eyes to that you know i want to play a game what's there a different game but you know a fan a warhammer fantasy army by what eighth and ninth edition is going to run you like three thousand dollars to like Easy. build something out there and infinity comes along it's like how would you like to play a different game where it's a smaller board it runs faster there's fewer models there's less buy-in so you yeah, had these people just burned by GW and then Corvus Belli comes along and says, well, I've got a different thing for you here. And I think a lot of like from then on Star Wars Legion, everything Their bolt action came out at the time uh, fantasy was put to bed. And so a lot of people turned to that. Um, once GW ticked off enough people, they started turning to these other games. And what I've noticed is like, people turn to those other games, but a lot of them eventually did come back to either Kill Team, regular 40K, Sigmar, Warcry. So killing that system actually made like the whole miniature wargaming ecosystem just bigger. It opened up yeah. people's eyes that there was more than just Games Workshop out there. Yeah, the end of that game really uh, fueled a lot of other games, which it's not I just think it back, fueled... right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which Field Games Workshop to make their games better. And, you know, technically they are the games of both 40K and Age of Sigmar are skirmish games, uh, skirmish action games where each, indiv uh, each model acts individually and not as a full unit. Um, but it still has that mass army type of uh, cohesiveness. Um, but when people say skirmish game, and I think the big skirmish game movement came right after the death of that game uh, of fantasy um, really was the focus on smaller model counts and individual uh, model action. And I think that's really what spurred like, because people are like, Oh, I could have 10 models for one game. Well, what if I just start another game and I have 10 models Then I can start another game, 10 models. And that's as, much as I have for half of my game workshop. Yeah. What? So that brings me to where I got started. So I'm a little bit older than you. So, but Couple once again, years. my introduction, I think most people's introduction is RPGs. So mm -hmm. AD&D second edition, Thaco all the way. Okay. <laughs> I like the old school uh, aesthetic, but Thaco uh, well, good know, I started buying the miniatures um, 
then I noticed that right next to these, like the 20, back then it was 25 millimeter scale on the TSR um, AD&D miniatures. So I have like the old Dragonlance heroes and villains and uh, little dragon creatures and everything. I have those, but right next to them is like, man, these, you know, I was in, I was young, so I didn't have a lot of money, but right next to those were these battle system and they're, they're smaller, but you know, 15 bucks got you like a whole bunch of these guys. And I realized that these aren't really meant for the RPG. There's actually this uh, war game attached to them. So you could play the different armies in like the AD&D system, primarily mm -hmm. Forgotten Realms, which you've seen my Forgotten Realms collection. <laughs> it's pretty big. Yeah. So, but you know, from there, I always had the problem of, and we mentioned this, finding someone to play with and, mm -hmm. you know, being a pre-high school individual, you know, telling my parents like, hey, I want to go hang out with these 30-year-old guys uh, and play the six-hour games. Like, nah, I don't know about that. Um, from there, moved to Maryland from California and found Battletech pre-clan and uh, bought some of those because of the uh, Land Air Mechs, which I have a soft spot for. Back before the Unseen court battles and <laughs> they had to get rid of those models. But once again, I lived in rural nowhere, Maryland, and there was, I think I could drive two hours to get to a place where I could play a game that would take two hours and turn around, head back. So no one was going <laughs> to drive me, schlep me to Annapolis or Alexandria for that. But um, it was actually my brother, my little brother turned me on to Games Workshop because in Waldorf, Maryland, little tiny town south of dc they actually had a games workshop store in the mall back when they were used to be in malls and i went in there and i'd been like tsr all the way never heard of games workshop and said what the hell is this garbage i'm never touching it and then you know when i graduated from college my brother was like still into it and so i was like okay so i bought the mega force box that they had back in like uh, third force edition so i had the land raider the command squad. So I rolled hard into that. I didn't actually play it. I would just field the army. And like my little brother and I would go to the mall like every Friday night and I would just drop them off, go to McDonald's and I like give them my army. And then I'd come back and I asked, did you win? I said, no. What do you need to win? <laughs> so like, well, I need this guy. So I'd go buy that guy. And every week we would just do that. Um, but that was around the dark times of Games Workshop. They hired this new guy and he was like, you can't sit in the store unless you're painting or doing something. Do you know how much money I drop in this store every week? And you telling me I can't sit in your chair as my brother plays your game. That was a long time in Games Workshop had a lot of problems, but you know, I stuck with the Warhammer um, and it's pretty much only that until I moved to Albuquerque and the number of people that play different games, because DC is a very career focused area. You go anywhere else in the country and there's always more game stores, more comic stars than there are in DC. It's very transient population. If you want to go to a place where like, you know, you go to Indianapolis, there's a billboard for like Coca-Cola or legal services for, like, you know, if you get hurt, fine. You go to DC, there's billboards with like, F-35 weapon systems. That's what people are interested in. <laughs> Not playing games. 
they're, they're interesting <laughs> careers. So I come to Albuquerque, and that's probably when I went to Etten. I started breaking that only games workshop because Necromunda and Kill Team had started to come out. And I was like, well, this is close enough. And it's like, you get that habit of playing skirmish games. And then it's like, well, how about Ragnarok? Well, how about Frostgrave? It's like, okay, deal me in. Throw it on, throw it on the pile. And then once the dam's broken, it's like, well, bolt action, team Yankee. But you know, it's one of those things we talk about, you know, you're restricted by time, space, and money. So I've probably got more games than I'll ever play. But I'll keep on buying more rule books. Same. Just for the hell of it. So because I find I actually only play games when I go on travel, like go to like New York or DC or something. I'll find games there. I need a wide array of games that fit into like overhead luggage or in my car when I go to Denver or something. And it's like, I need to show up at the new city and be able, what do you play here? And I've got to be able to pull it out of my pack um, that can fit in overhead luggage because I'm not putting my models in the belly of that plane where the guy throws them on the tarmac. Nope. So that <laughs> all. Constrains, constrains me is, the space that I'm allowed to travel with and what games can I actually find someone to play with? And that's probably where I start breaking down to like, well, 28 millimeters only. Well, I go to like Northern Virginia and there's this one store I like Eagle, uh, Eagle and Empire. Well, they play uh, Battlefront. So Flames of War, Team Yankee, Nom, some Bolt Action, Games Workshop. So it's like, okay, well, I can go Games Workshop, uh, Team Yankee, and I'll be honest with you, the reason I picked Team Yankee is because I showed up at the store. I look at the lay of the land. Who's playing the games? Because you're looking for that guy. You know, the guy that's an a-hole when he plays games. Because you don't mm-hmm. want to pick a game that that guy plays. Okay? Yep, exactly. And so I found him. It's like this uh, Popeye-looking old man who's actually quite blind and can't actually tell what he rolls on his dice. He just guesses. But... Oh. His guess is actually averaged out to a statistical mean of where he's not always rolling sixes. Like he'll roll sixes and say, oh, I missed. If you say so. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take your word for it. Yeah. I don't want to play him. So I bought like a whole bunch of Team Yankee and it's like, because he wasn't there on Team Yankee day. So I start putting together, I show up. It's like, well, he just missed last week. He does in fact play Team Yankee. So when they set up the tables, I've got to like steer away from him and kind of like find someone else to land on don't play that guy in fact just don't beat that guy when you play that that's 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 the biggest rule that i i like to follow don't don't be that guy yeah well there's also another guy um i play with and depending on how badly he loses affects how much he cheats so there's a lot of like um figure floating you know where you like you put down the tape and the figure just moves an extra little bit from how the tape's laid down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, okay, that figure just floated over there. And like, But, uh, you know, that's a good point. It's like when you're buying into a game, normally what happens is, but nowadays, what most people start with Games Workshop, because that's just every store you go into. Like anywhere I've gone in the country, I can't always find a Flames War or Wolf Action game, but I can find a 40K game. Mm-hmm. Always, always. It is. Um, I mean, it's the easiest game to get a, a game in for. Yeah, 
Uh, you're not going to find that with Bolt Action or Star Wars Legion. They're good games. They have growing communities, but nothing can compete with every metro area you go to will have Warhammer. But what happens is normally you take, what, your $120, $210, you throw down, and you've got the start of an army. Now what happens is after a while you play it, and then you're saying, you know what, I want to try something different. So you might find what else does my store sell that everyone else I want to hang out with is playing. Now at Etten, it's Battletech. Um, mm-hmm. You can throw down, you can play Battletech. And so you buy the books, you buy the models, you field your force and you say, well, you know what, there's some other people I want to play with. You do that again. And that's probably a very inefficient way if you want to play multiple games to play it. And I think what we've talked about doing and you know we brought up on the youtube channel is you should really just think do you want to play multiple games is mm-hmm. it a game if you start a new game is it a game that you can talk someone into playing um are you ready to be the champion of that game in your store are you ready to come in set up the table bring both sides that's why i think one of the things we discuss is when we especially with osprey games they're great for this is reskinning so let's say you yes. go in you buy the Indominus box set and you say, you know what? Let's play Zona Alpha and Gamma Wolves. So what would that be? $45. We get mm-hmm. two new games out of it. We can play a tank heavy, all armor and walkers and everything. In Zona Alpha, we can play a small game where we just take our Space Marines and Necron Warriors and we got a different mode of play and just build out from there. Yeah. Exactly. Um, how to get the most out of your models is really how to play multiple games. I mean, fantasy games are the easiest with this because, I mean, sci-fi, there are a lot of different aesthetics to sci-fi. I mean, there's tons of things you can do with sci-fi. Um, but fantasy games, I find, are the easiest to play multiples of because all my models from... Frostgrave uh, can be played in uh, Thud and Blunder or um, even Ragnarok or other other fantasy games. Uh, very translatable. Um, fantasy or sci-fi, uh, I have f- find a little more trouble because there, there's just different aesthetics. Um, uh, my Infinity uh, collection gets a lot of work from uh does a lot of work for that um because infinity does cover the gambit of different aesthetics other than grimdark which i mean if you're anything grimdark you just go grab some 40k models um but there's old school military there's like modern military there's uh high-tech uh battle suits there's your anime um and uh cyberpunk uh all those things uh once you find what your niche is um because everyone has it um so that's how you get the most out of this just like find the miniatures that you want to play with and then find games to use those miniatures so I, i have tons of infinity miniatures, so i i search out games that i can use those zona alpha um Reality's uh, Edge. Reality's Edge, exactly. Um, the newest uh, Star uh, 
Stargrave. Stargrave, when that comes out. Oh, yeah. That's. <laughs> I know. That's, Frostgrave is my favorite game ever. So, um, and see, I didn't have any uh, fantasy game, uh, fantasy miniatures before I started playing Frostgrave. So I started from scratch on that one. But now that I have them all for Frostgrave, and I have enough for three players of Frostgrave, which you kind of have to if you're going to be playing games like this. Um, now I have enough miniatures. I could grab, go grab Thud and Blunder off the shelf, and I don't have to worry about buying miniatures because I already did. Do you have Thud and Blunder on the shelf? Uh, I do not. Okay. It, I was just, at that one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I played it um, because there's a couple people that bring it into the store, and it's a really good game. Um, it's on my list. Uh, I just haven't grabbed it yet. You know, that's um, what's I've heard it said. Everyone can agree what the past looked like. It's the future. Everyone has these different aesthetic designs. So that's why if you're playing like, you know, a, a history focused like medieval game, throw a wizard in there and you're playing a completely different system where, you know, would you really put my my skull laden like dreadnought next to like an infinity tag and say, oh, yeah, they they exist in the same universe. They they fit together. Uh, tau. That doesn't count. No one plays. Tau. <laughs> they kind of do. <laughs> uh, believe me, when the Tau came out, that was like out of nowhere. Like, uh, oh, I, that's like that's. It still is kind of out of nowhere. It's a very clean aesthetic compared to the rest of 40k universe. Well, that that's why you know when I look at it. You and you start reading like War Games Illustrated or War Game Soldiers and Strategies, and they write these articles. You can tell that in like the United Kingdom, where those are published, people actually separate models from rule systems. So mm -hmm. there's that one magazine I gave you, uh, UK Miniatures had like that special scenario from Frostgrave, and you collect yeah. all those. But they had an article in there of how to play these. Games Workshop's kill team rules to play World War One trench warfare, and that's where yeah. like the light bulb goes off and it's like you know I don't because it's like when you play Games Workshop, you it's like well I've got to use these models. Well, how about using those models? No, this is a Games Workshop game. I I can't use them for any other game. You really got to break that dynamic. That the way the store sells them to you is the way they have to be used. And see, that's one of the big things that I've noticed working at working behind the scenes in this industry is um, the rising popularity of uh, miniature agnostic games. Uh, because for, I mean, decades now, there have been very, like, you get the miniatures for the game that you are playing, and those are the miniatures, you don't use those miniatures for anything else other than maybe RPGs. Um, so people are have these mass uh, collections of miniatures and for s certain games. And I mean, I think we're running out of space is the big thing. People are running out of space. So now how do we get the most bang out of our miniatures? Yeah. And you know, the, um, the trick I find is I, at least the UK has a club culture, which the US does not have. All our gaming is really organized around the stores that you live near. And that, so that means in like the UK, you could buy, you can do sharps practice. You could do um, the very black powder 
second edition. And, you know, you've already had those collections for decades. Some of these guys are pretty old and they've had these miniature collections. So they just, they're used to just swapping out rule books for it. In the U.S., we're built around the stores because that's the one place we go play. I mean, we don't go to like the church and use their basement because there's really no basements in Albuquerque. So that wouldn't even apply. Um, but you, you go to the store and the store owner really has to be behind the game because he's the one that's taking the risk on whether that game sells or not. And since I've traveled a lot, I would go into stores and they're like, oh, yeah, this games workshop rep you know, contact me, sells me like the starter stand and the starter boxes. And I would see like store owners go, you know, like video game stores. I sell video games. Why don't I sell tabletop games? That'll be cool too. And, but they don't play them themselves. If the store owner doesn't understand or doesn't play the game, how is he going to sell it? How is the community going to form? People lay down their $210, get their army and there's no one to play with aka titanicus um there's a lot of people who bought those sets around here i have no one to play with but but then that makes the buyer mad and then the buyer doesn't come back to the store to buy like the second tranche of games workshop models you know and it's pretty much going to be space marines or if everyone buys space marines exactly uh and that was another big factor in when i started working at it and um to get into other miniature games uh, although infinity at the time was very popular 40k was more popular and you know in order to help my store further um i needed to play it i needed to understand what is going on because i mean i stayed away from it for seven years that even touching i didn't even have citadel um so i mean i stayed as far away from games workshop as you possibly could and finally i you know broke down that wall i decided i'm gonna go for it and you know and so i started playing other games too and uh recently i got into more uh rpgs to do the same thing um both of which i love um board games i still you know flounder around but um it's it's game stores have to know what they're selling and that builds the foundation of the community so if your game store doesn't know about a game it's not going to build the game yeah it's like building that community so infinity around albuquerque i mean with the rumble on 66 i came out here i was surprised at the number of people because back back in the dc area i heard of it but I never saw anybody play it. Um, we were the biggest hub for Infinity in this, probably America at one point. Probably the, the most players uh, and active players and most famous players as well. Um, so, I mean, several of the people that uh, are in the Infinity New Mexico group have been written into the lore of Infinity, so... You know, that's like um, in DC, I played X-Wing. So, I mean, there's no hobbying involved, but, you know, you're moving miniatures around. And Paul Heaver, he plays in Springfield. Um, Alexandria is far enough for me to travel. 
but you know there was a big X-wing community just because a lot of the national champions and like the top players lived in the DC metro area. So before the second edition X-wing fiasco uh, destroyed a lot of the communities there. But uh, you know, one thing I wanted to bring up, make a good point because um, the store owner for Ed and Sean, a uh, friend of ours, um, and who supported our uh, YouTube channel in the past, he is a battle tech nut. I mean, crazy for battle tech. The novels, the mini. He probably novels. knows more about battle tech than he does about breathing. But, you know, when Catalyst uh, Game Labs came out with the new box, the first thing Sean did is, I do not care how good a business decision this is. I am going to buy 40 boxes of the starter box. So you in Albuquerque, you could either go to Barnes & Noble or you go to Atten and find this. And Sean had just all the tables covered with Battletech, the boxes there. And, you know, when that happened, like, you know, Sean just laid it on the table and people came in there's still a battle tech community there but because that still played with like the old iron wind metal models there but when people come in to buy a game you see 40 bucks you get 12 models that's enough to create hours of gameplay infinite combinations and this guy obviously has 40 boxes of it so he believes in it so that confidence transfers to the consumer that okay i'm going to go drop 40 bucks in my time to play this game now Right after I saw like Sean did that, I traveled to like uh, Eagle and Empire in Alexandria, Virginia. And um, I asked the local store owner there, you know, I'd hung out there for a long time. I was like, so how are you doing with the battle tech? He goes, oh man, I wish I could have gotten more of that. He only bought like two copies of the box because he mm -hmm. works on the model of like, he doesn't want to dive deep into any game. Like he'll buy one of something and sees it, see if it moves. And if it moves, and no one ever asks about it again. He doesn't buy a second. So he actually ran into the situation since he didn't believe in it. Because uh, his store was actually running there during the clan fiasco when the introduction of the clans to Battletech really destroyed a lot of the Battletech communities. Oh, okay. Um, he didn't do the big buy-in. But of course, he missed out on all the sales and all the enthusiasm for that because he didn't pre-order like Sean did. But you could already see it's like, what, every pre-COVID what every thursday uh it was so, actually like, like thursday and tuesdays yeah eight people at lunchtime were playing that game we're not talking yeah. friday night we're talking you know like, as soon hours. as we go they were there when we opened at noon and left before four yeah but i know i can i can attribute that to the the store owner's enthusiasm about that game and that exactly yeah and so and you can see what like i i like to it, it's so funny like anytime i get into a game and i get excited about something and i talk about it in store the sales of it skyrockets um i started playing this game dungeon crawl classics as soon as i started like excitedly talking about it to people describing it we started selling books and uh scenarios and dice and everything um magic i mean i got back into magic this year and our magic sales skyrocketed it's because somebody in the store is excited about it when i, I could always tell when caitlin is excited about something and caitlin's the other person that works at, at and, um i could tell whenever uh she gets excited about something because it starts 
coming in a and leaving the shelf uh, quickly. Um, so you definitely tell uh, what is selling in a store by what the store is excited about. Yeah, and, and enthusiastic can, about. And you know that can make or break a lot of game systems there. That's because um, I've seen. There's nothing worse than a store owner pretending to like a game one week, and then two weeks later, the next distributor sells them on the next big game, and it's like, well, I just dropped $200 on Blood and Plunder. Don't you still like that? Well, we've sold through Blood and Plunder. Here's, you know, Indominus box set. Don't you want to buy that too for $200? There's a limit. Mm -hmm. Money and my patience here. But, you know... Battletech gives that example of where, you know, I have rules about scale and it has to be playable across multiple genres. You know, can I reskin? And, you know, six millimeter, uh, yeah, six millimeter doesn't really translate into a lot of systems yet. I mean, you can do like go to War Games Vault and you'll find a game for something there. So you can get gutter mechs. Uh, Gamma Wolves should be useful. Um, I know he designed it kind yeah. of like with the infinity tags in mind, but you know, you can just scale it down and just use your team Yankee tanks and uh, your battle tech guys. And you can do some horizon wars, some gamma wolves, Osprey games. As long as you got the imagination like, for it, yeah. any models of whatever you want it to be. But you know, you, before we sign off on this, cause we could go on for a couple more hours, just like before yes. you buy something, the thing I like to do is think about it for a month. And what could I use it for? And how much do I want to buy? And that protects me from Kickstarter. Because um, I'll give the example of Blood and Plunder, Raise the Black. I was looking at that full Admiral pass, $320, and you get everything. I mean, come on, Brian, everything. It comes with everything. But I was like, what am I going to, for 320 bucks, am I going to use this for anything else? And normally in Kickstarters, I just buy like the two-person starter. So like uh, Gangs of the Undercity. I went all in on Street Wars NYC, and we'll talk about that later. But, um, you know, you looked at Blunt and Punters, like, I want it. I love the models. I love the plastic ship. But it's only going to be for Blood and Plunder. And, you know, I thought about it for a month. And when it came that last day, I said, you know, what? I'm just not going to pull the trigger. Maybe someday I'll buy into it. But if I wanted to get a game in, I know there's a community at like Nova Open, but I knew that wasn't going to happen for a while. So without anyone to play with, any reason, it was, it was just too much money. So you got to pass. You got to focus on stuff that you know you can get the value out of. Because mm-hmm. too often it's going to end up in a pile in your closet there. So <laughs> it's all about value. Yes. But you know, as we start winding down, let's talk about looking towards the future there. And we're not going to be a news-based podcast. There's plenty of other podcasts and YouTube channels, Spiky Bits, Facebook. You know what? Just Facebook. Just Facebook. Your scroll will give you all the news you need. But Brian, you know, looking into the future, what are you excited about getting or working on with your miniature wargaming? I know you're somehow you got a large supply of magic cards that you had to unload from an individual who is no longer playing magic. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder who that could be. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, magic's just a, something that, you know, I can make money off of to fund other things. And it gets, it's, it's an easy game to play during the pandemic online. Um, for miniature games, though, there, there is a lot of awesome stuff that's coming out that I'm very excited for. Uh, Gamma Wolves, um, Stargrave, and A Billion Suns are definitely on my radar and definitely on my list to buy. Are, um, are you sure about that billion sons? Oh, I'm 100 sure about back, that billion sons. That's been pushed back a couple times, and I've I've got the 3D printer with the uh, with my uh, Defiant class starships there and my Enterprise class flagship. That you know, we we can do some Romulans using billion little sons there. Oh yeah, yeah, and then I'll I'll have my Borg, and you know, <laughs> we'll we'll all be good. No, I I'm very excited about that. Um, the creator just got his test book, um, you know, blue cover, everything looks really good. Uh, it's going to be little mess. It's going to be, uh, what was that games workshop game? Um, I can never remember the battlefleet Gothic. Oh yeah. I, I still have those models. Yeah. It's, you could use those too, because it's the same scale. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, I'm excited for that one, especially. But of course, Stargrave because it's Frostgrave in space. So. And using our discussion, if you have just bought the Indominus box set and you've only gotten through like a squad of Marines there or some Necron warriors, don't be afraid to buy the Stargrave book and just use the models you have. It's literally miniature agnostic. And if anyone at the store yep. gives you garbage about that, Find your own way to deal with that, but that's probably not a person you want to play with anyway. Exactly. Uh, I've played Frostgrave with somebody that uh, uses the Dungeons and Doggies miniatures as their adventures, and I love it. That's absolutely amazing. I well, mean, I, I bought I, kittens and catacombs for my daughter <laughs> to play. You know, she uses it in her D and D adventures. Yeah, I bought those for myself. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for for Frostgrave. <laughs> So, well, yeah, we were going to do uh, cats versus dogs using frost. Yes. Yeah. I, I even got the, she got the, uh, I got the big pack. So she's got the, ne the necro meowster. So <laughs> yes. Special. I did too. Yeah. Be like <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I think, um, so going forward, literally right now, Aaron, who does a couple videos for the channel there, she's printing off some New York City brownstones for me. Because I'm getting ready for Street Wars NYC. Um, there's a guy in Scotland who makes these models that look like they came off the 1978 movie, The Warriors. So it's late 70s street gang warfare. And it violates every rule of being useful in multiple gangs. But I just saw that. And I grew up in the 80s. So I remember that movie. Like, you know what? I will have all those miniatures. Now the terrain I'm printing off, I can use for Batman, um, MCP, because a lot of those, the terrain is still the three inch uh, floor level, that 28 millimeter, like Infinity and all the other 28 millimeter game. So it's like, all right, this terrain, these brownstones are going to be big, but I've already got some other uh, games that I can use it for. So I'll, I'll give them some shelf space there, but, uh, you know, still waiting for my uh, Knights models order to come in for the, uh, <laughs> for uh, it'll be a little bit, 
Yeah, I, I found that when ordering from Spain, um, speed is not an issue there. No. Um, and I am interested in the Pain and Piety set coming out. I don't know why. I just, the Sisters of Battle and the Drukhari, I don't have those sets. And with the Games Workshop's focus on, uh, we did that video on Combat Patrol. Mm-hmm. Of like, just the small model count that you can play regular games of Warhammer now. And, you know, when I travel, I play Kill Team because, you know, I play Custodes, three models. Three models in the rule, the two rule books, I'm done. I can. That's it. That That's easy carry on right there. So, you know, I've, I've actually looked at, I have Kill Teams for most of the factions, um, not Trukari or Sisters of Battle yet. But, you know, I can expand those Kill Teams to Combat Patrols. So I'm, I'm going to see the price on those first. Got to see the price on those sets because that game's workshop price creep there. It's it's been creeping. <laughs> their their shareholders have been quite upset, and they're not making <laughs> enough money there. <laughs> Even though you know record profits. Yeah. You know what? I always pass on buying their stock. They don't. They don't actually. I don't think they trade on the NYSE, but I think. How much higher can it go? Really? How much more are people going to spend on toy soldiers? And uh, I'm always astounded. No matter what they do, they make money. Their CEO craps on the company, craps on the customer base, on the games, destroys everything, and they make more money. A new CEO comes in and says, all those old games we got rid of, they're back. And they make more money. It's like, you know, know, they might want to teach that at business school. It doesn't matter what you do. You can make more money. <laughs> if you have a product people want, but, it, yeah. you can literally spit on them and they will but, buy it. What, what's the saying with miniature wargaming? Heroin's cheaper. <laughs> Any drugs cheaper. cheaper. <laughs> well, that's true. You know, let's end it on that note there. So, uh, thank you for enjoying us at this uh, inaugural episode of uh, Miniature Wargaming Labs. Uh, I'm James. And I'm Brian. We'll see you next time.